Welcome to One of Us is Lying, the podcast where, well, one of us is lying. We'll be telling either historical stories, ridiculous conspiracy theories, or some deeply confusing combination of both each week. Thanks for tuning in. I was definitely about to casually move my mic as if that's something that you can do. <laughs> yeah, no, not with our little setup. Maybe someday. Maybe. Probably not anytime soon. <laughs> no, we should, we should probably go live first and have more than one episode out. Maybe. I don't know. That might be like reach goals. <laughs> reach goals is having equipment that's valid. Yeah. No, reach goals is actually just like launching it. <laughs> no, no, no. That's no? going to reach. That's happening. Okay. We're okay. Gonna, it might only be a one episode launch, but... Stay tuned, guys. We're going to see if there's an episode two. By the way, who are you? Oh, fuck. Um, I'm Jada. I, yep, that's it. That's the end of the sentence. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm now Jada's counterpart. I'm Curdy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I'm just going to introduce myself. Um, yes, you heard that right. My name is Curdy. I'm so sorry. You'll get that story eventually, I'm sure. Anyway, how was your week? Oh, gosh. Okay, so my week was a shit show. Uh, way to start a podcast. Mm-hmm. I uh, love that. Very positive, uplifting. Yeah, I definitely think part of the premise of a podcast is indulging in other people's shitty lives. So yes. here we are. Jada's willing to put that in, out into the world for you guys. I am that person to let you know it could be worse. This week, I got proto-fired. <laughs> Hence why we make a podcast. It's Look at great. that guy. It's, it's a, great. So it's, much free time to dedicate to a non-income generating hobby. <laughs> There's a direct correlation between being unemployed and having a podcast, guys. Yep. Just learn from us. Y'all. It's okay. It's totally fine. You can do it too. So yeah, I got fired. I had my performance review because it's mm-hmm. that time of the year and I was not meeting expectations. Meaning, typically, it's like pretty typical for a company. If you don't meet expectations, you get put on a PIP or a performance improvement plan. Ooh, look at that, defining her abbreviations. Oh, yeah. Business talk. Oh, I was also... (laughs) I was told I don't have proper business acumen, which means like, I don't know what business is. Which is ironic because it's my degree, but it's fine. Whatever. Um, yeah. Your, your degree was useless, <laughs> didn't you know? Yeah. Ooh, college? Question mark. Um, but yeah, essentially that I did not meet expectations because I have poor attention to detail, which is a shock to no one. Love uh, you. You've got other strengths. I do have other strengths. Well, I just want to put into the universe, God, I love my boss. I'm so sorry. That is actually so awful it's it it is what it is like i can't be that upset about it because at the end of the day i did like it wasn't the reason that this happened was also i wasn't like gung-ho like i love my job i'm gonna improve like it was very clear that like i had a foot out the door already so i think they just got ahead of it and they're like yeah so there's two paths to a pip you either do the job and they're like fine you did it you're you like met your expectations you're average now congrats exactly so you get like no bonus no raise whatever or um you're fired they fire you (laughs) those are the two options of a pip you skip that step uh yeah looking ahead yes the way they phrased it was it was like this just wasn't a right fit which is fair it was not it wasn't and in fact that was kind of like my underlining of when i quit that was going to be my reason like this was just not a good fit and that's okay so i think at the end of the day um, as long as I don't burn any bridges, yeah, still, 
still, we'll see how strong my resolve is over these next few months. But as long as I don't burn any bridges, I do think that like their partnership and their leadership will be very valuable. Fantastic. Wonderful. We're staying positive. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. happy. I now get extra money. So in in their whole, like, you either get a PIP, there is also the other option of, like, you quit. And you get a bio. Yeah. So they're essentially going to, um, I have a job for two more months, and then I get two months of severance. Hey, we love yeah. that. So it's, that's, it's pretty significant, and four months is, it's enough time for me to get another job. Yes, it yeah. is. So. I've been drunk since Thursday. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. <laughs> um, so I went to a volunteer orientation. Afterwards, um, the boyfriend of the orientation leader actually kind of just stood up and went, hi, thank you guys all for coming. Like, I know it was really important to, like, insert name here, his girlfriend. I'll buy you guys a drink if you want one. And I wasn't actually intentionally trying to go with them. I was actually just trying to walk to my bus station, which was on the way. <laughs> and they're like, cool, you're going to get a drink with us? And I'm like... Yes. Yes, I am. You got accidentally roped into a party. Yes. That's very on brand. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, I have a very hard time saying no, and I end up in so many situations because of it. For someone who is so strong-willed, peer pressure is really like your Achilles heel. Like, you just kind of (laughs) crumble. It's because it's never that I don't want to do the thing. Yeah, you're always down for a good time. I'm just always down in general. It doesn't even have to be a good time. It's just a time. Yeah, that's true. Uh-huh. So we went out and got drinks on Thursday. And then Friday was National Margarita Day. So. Also, let's just state that Curdy goes to work at 6 a.m. Yeah, I work East Coast hours, guys. And I we live on the West Coast. So I work 6 to 3. So, so she got drunk on a Thursday night to be at work at 6 a.m. What's up? <laughs> Health and wellness. That's what this podcast is. Didn't you know? Clearly, we are the epitome of great mental health. Mm-hmm. And just great physical health, even. Oh, I could totally walk up hills. <laughs> I live in a two-story walk-up, and there's never been a time where my friends and I have not complained about it. Yeah, those are some steep asters, though, to be clear. They, it's like hiking. They are very, very steep. Like, you kind of need to lean into them a little bit. <laughs> Things I did this morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then, yeah, Friday was National Margarita Day. And then after National Margarita Day, I went to my friend's house, and we went out. That took me a second. It's very stunted. I had to think about how that went. Okay. Because margaritas on an empty stomach was just wonderful. They were good margaritas. And so then we went out on Friday night. Didn't drink any more tequila, thankfully. And then last night, one of my friends had a surprise birthday party. So I showed up late, but I brought the cake, so it didn't actually matter. That's cute. Yeah, and then we all went out again. And now I'm here recording a podcast on a bright and sunny Sunday afternoon. <laughs> so, yeah, Jada had a week and I just got drunk. Curdy had alcohol. Curdy had alcohol, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, surprisingly, have not had alcohol. Oh. I, yeah, it's been a solid, like, five days since they told me, which is ridiculous. They told me in, like, the middle of the week, which is fucking rude. rude. <laughs> if you're going to tell someone you're that they're fired. fired, you tell them on a Friday night, dude. Like, let them cry on the Bart home, guys. Yeah, you fucking assholes. I had to go to work Friday. Do you know how painful that was? Okay, so do we want to actually get into the podcast? How long have we been talking for? It's only been 12 minutes, dude. Oh, we can keep going then. We c- we're not, but we could. But we could. Okay, anyway, what's our topic for the week? Judo? Our topic is assassinations. Yes. So conspiracy theories or wild truths about conspiracy uh, mm-hmm. assassination. Ideally, we're either going to be telling you an entire truth about a historical fact, 
And the idea is that historical fact is going to be ridiculous. It's going to be over the top and honestly unbelievable. And then on the other hand, we're also going to tell you conspiracy theories. We're not going to clarify if we're telling you a historical fact or a conspiracy theory. Next episode, we will. Each day, each following week, we'll tell you which of us was lying. So guess what? You have to keep tuning in. And yeah, that's that's kind of the point of the podcast. Yeah, pretty simple. You want to go first? Um, I can go first because I love my story and I know you're super long. Yes. Uh, let me pull it up. So, the definition of an assassination is it is typically a secret murder of a politically or culturally prominent person. An assassination may be prompted by religious, political, or military motives. It is an act that may be done for financial gain to avenge a grievance from a desire to acquire fame or notoriety or because of a military security insurgent or secret police group's command to carry out the homicide. So it's not like just a murder. Like it's a murder With for a, purpose. a reason. Yeah, there needs to be a reason you're getting assassinated and you kind of have to be important. You kind of have to be important, and you also, like, have to... Something has to be gained by removing you from existence. Like, you can't you can't just, like, murder someone and call it an assassination. You, you might like, be able to, but it's not going to be convincing, and yeah, history's like, not going to smile on that one. Yeah, even, like, serial killers, like, they're, they're not assassinations, they're murders. Even though they gain notoriety from it, it's still just a fucking murder. Yeah, because yeah. they're not gaining notoriety because of the specific person they killed. You gain notoriety based off of who you're killing. So don't don't assassinate people, guys. I think that's also a takeaway there. Yeah, but you aim to be highlight in, that. Yeah, but aim to be important enough to be assassinated. Personal goals. I, you personal okay. goals. Okay, depending on your personality type, yes. But also, why? <laughs> I like the concept of power. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, <laughs> fun fact: my story isn't actually about assassinations. <laughs> you. Can't. You can't immediately say that. Okay, what is your story about, Jada? My story is about neutralization. Which is? And a neutralization is the ability to make someone ineffective or inoffensive. So they're kind of parallel. So typically, like, you can neutralize a target by killing them or essentially stopping them from making a politically or culturally important movement. Okay. So uh, trying to give... Like you an could, example. I'm trying to think of an example outside of the story that I'm about to tell you. No, just name drop your story. Who cares? Okay, so my story is um, John Lennon was neutralized by the FBI for his popularity and anti-war platform. Oh yes, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> so I originally was gonna do his assassination, but then I felt like this story was actually a lot more interesting, okay. and I didn't like. I'll get into his assassination and his murder, mm-hmm. but. This is the more important part. Yeah, this is kind of like the involvement of the American government. So, just some history about who John Lennon was. He was... Okay. (laughs) Do do you need a blanket? No, I'm good. It was like, like just, that was fine. Okay. Uh, John Lennon was a part of the Beatles, if you didn't know that. You don't say. (laughs) So, he was notably called the clever beetle so he did a lot of the um the music he wrote a lot of the songs yeah he was the front man wasn't he he was one of the leads yeah with him and paul mccartney and he like essentially he changed the way we write music that was like one of his largest impacts him and paul mccarthy they were kind of like the pivotal music comes from within rather than most writers yeah basically so, in 1964, Be- Beatlemania, and they originally started in British Europe. Mm-hmm. Britain. Britain. UK. Yeah. UK. Mm-hmm. That, that area across. Across the pond. Across the water. <laughs> so, in 
1964, Beatlemania has been brought to America, sparking the British invasion. Hey, One Direction was the follow-up. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> That's not the conspiracy theory that I want right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, in their first live U.S. performance, 73 million people watched. That's 34% of the American population. <laughs> That's a shit ton of people. Mm-hmm. Um, Nielsen reported that this was the largest viewing ever recorded. Um, but it's important to note that this was before the moon landing, so the moon landing was actually like 500 million, like casually. At the time, though, to watch a British band just yeah. perform that's an insane number and it was like their fir- like it was their first performance yeah like in america they still weren't american famous they weren't no yeah okay continue but like uh, enough people were interested that like nielsen was like what the fuck <laughs> awesome also this just adds an interesting timeline to my story because i didn't right? i didn't realize they overlapped oh so one of the most interesting things about this podcast or at least when i'm doing my research is that i just know a lot more about history now Right. Okay. It's so confusing. So fun though. But timelines are weird. The concept of time is very weird, guys. Don't like that shit. <laughs> time. Fuck that. No. <laughs> anyway, so a lot of people watched the Beatles. Yeah, a lot of people watched Beatles. Uh, some reports say that Beatlemania took American youth so strongly because it had reignited the sense of excitement and possibility that had been taken by the Kennedys' assassination. Kennedy was assassinated three months before the Beatles were ever in New York, mm-hmm. and Beatlemania was notably said to have taken the American colonies back. So that was kind of like their big, we're here now type of thing. Uh, the Be- Beatles were also relatively famous for their impact on the 1960s youth. The New York Times Magazine described Beatlemania as a religion of teenage culture and represented cultural change and the opposition of st- oppositional stance of the youth culture against the establishment. Fuck the man. Yeah, like in short, that's what that says. Like, th- they brought counterculture, really. So as their music matured, it began to echo social commentary and inspired the 1960s counterculture movement, an anti-establishment cultural phenomenon that swept through the West and eventually gave way to the civil rights movement. Yeah. That was not a sentence I ever expected. Yeah, right? Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense, though. I wasn't a Beatles fan. I have no idea. I mean, you weren't also alive alive in the 60s. My parents also didn't like them, so, like, I'm just in the corner, like... But, like, it kind of makes sense because of, like, who the Beatles were. They kind of, like, reinvigorated youth. They said, like, there's hope, there's peace, there's things. Um, And their music was so strongly rooted in social commentary that it was Mm -hmm. bringing a message to the youth that they had not previously heard. That's fair. That does make sense. Yeah, so... But also to associate the American civil rights movement with the Beatles is just not that was not the like leap in judgment and like logic I was expecting I this is actually a really interesting story because there is a very strong correlation okay continue tell me the rest let let me stop interrupting you So the Beatles were really, really popular until they had a faded interview published by Datebook magazine in 1966. So this was an interview that was actually given in the UK, and the UK really didn't give a shit. Like, they were like, it doesn't really mean anything. They have different problems than the US does. Yeah, so... Essentially what happened was, in the interview that he gave in the UK, Lennon had said the Beatles were more popular than Jesus, and that Christianity will vanish and shrink. Bold. That's a bold statement. So the thing is, 
that was actually taken out of context. Oh, I'm sure it was. So really what he was saying in his original interview was Christianity had not been as popular at that time with the UK youth yeah, okay. as the Beatles were. That makes sense, actually. Yeah, so it wasn't really like an anti-church statement it or anything. It was more of a, this is a statistic that I can prove and this is what's happening. This is It ha- wasn't even a statistic as much as it's kind of like, that's where we're at. Like, yeah. we, it was really like a comparison between rock and roll and Christianity and that the UK youth was just so enthralled with mm-hmm. the Beatles and who they were yeah. that they didn't really, like, you could get a poll on people's opinions on the Beatles before you could do it on the Christian Christian church. Wow, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Personally, I think he was justified in saying it. Like, I, it wasn't like a wild radical statement. It wasn't anti-church. It was just no. kind of like, yo, people know who we are. They don't know what the church is. And I mean, like, given what I know of the Beatles, I'm not surprised. Yeah, like they were incredibly popular. <laughs> insanely like yeah, that's like what they did yeah <laughs> they they were like known for like bringing literal musical movements to a, like Other across countries. western countries yes no one in the u.s liked that no um, shocking so, <laughs> shocking yeah no one is shocked but like basically because this quote was taken out of context it went the 60s version of something going viral so a bunch of newspapers like reprinted it and soon several radio stations in the bible belt were boycotting the Beatles. The Bible Belt was just like, fuck the Beatles in general. Like, Runo was known for um, condemning them every hour on the hour. Like, every hour they would say, like, fuck the Beatles, and now here's, like, Johnny Cash. (laughs) I want to be hated that much just once in my life. They really did take it so seriously. It got to the point where people were literally burning records. So you mean, like, how everybody burned, like, Nike gear, and that's just a trend that's been happening since the 60s. People just burn shit. (laughs) I think that's just, like, the takeaway. People like lighting things on fire for the sake of making a statement. Yep. It's weird. Although I get it. Oh, same. I do get it. I like the catharsis. Yeah. I like lighting things on fire. It goes boom. It's so fun. It melts. (laughs) Yeah. It's fun. So they would burn his records, and they would issue condemnations. Things got so bad that the Vatican made a statement denouncing John Lennon. The Pope sends a formal message saying, fuck you specifically, sir. Not fuck you specifically, but like, fuck what you said. The Pope. Anyway. (laughs) Continue. It's really fucking wild. So the Bible Belt and KKKs, KKK was also involved. Of course. They kind of like crawled their way back with this. Of course they they used this issue as a way of being like, yo, we're around. So the Bible Belt and KKK's distaste for this Jesus statement got so violent that the Beatles decided they didn't want to tour anymore. Oh. Yeah. So essentially, they... This statement kind of went viral around the time that they were doing their American tour. Okay. And their last actual live performance was in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, no. In the middle of the Bible Belt. Nope. Good luck. Yeah, so... <laughs> Proud you didn't get shot there. Yeah. It. That's really what it was. So, like, the, it was so violent and anxiety-inducing that they were like, fuck it. Um, and actually, during the concert, a kid threw a cherry bomb into the crowd, and the Beatles thought they were shot. That's how afraid they were. So after getting hardcore bullied by the Americans, John Lennon apologized in Chicago in a press conference. Um, It eventually, like, it pretty much worked. He, like, cried on camera. He was like, I'm sorry. He, like, eventually, he started with saying it didn't mean that. And Mm -hmm. then eventually got to the point where he was, like, crying on camera saying, like, please stop. I don't want to die. Like, that's how bad it got. 
then this guy is just a rock star. Like, I mean, yes, he's a member of the Beatles. Like, he's not just a rock star. He's the rock star. But, like... Yeah, well, the thing was, he, like... The Beatles before, because they, when they gave the interview in the UK and heard that it was getting as bad as it was, was in mm-hmm. America, they didn't really, like, trip off of it. They were like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Yeah, th- that would be my response. Like, are you really taking, like, four British guys' opinions on the church? We play rock music. These are not correlated. Yeah, that was literally what it was. And it wasn't until he thought he had been shot at a concert that he's like, mm-hmm, please stop. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, important to note, during this time, the Vietnam War was raging, mm-hmm. and President Lyndon B. Johnson had declared to send 44 more battalions, doubling the monthly drafts. Okay. So, like, these are all kind of coinciding events. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In short, no one was really happy, and especially not the children. Not like the 18-year-olds. The, the ones that were getting drafted. Yeah. So, as the Vietnam War rages, the lack of popularity... As the Vietnam War rages, um, the Americans were, like, not for it. Um, Lyndon B. Johnson decided to not seek re-election. He didn't think he'd win. Rightfully so. Right? Still. Yeah. Okay. So this means in 1968, Nixon narrowly wins the presidential election. In 1969, and this is kind of like a side fact, in 1969, uh, 250K to 600K protested in the Washington moratorium against the Vietnam War, and that was the largest anti-war protest demonstration in history. Wow. 600,000 people. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Also, fun fact, the Vietnam War is, by American standards, not considered a war. It's considered a police action. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. That's how we can say we haven't lost a war. It's not actually a war as defined by the American government. Poli sci minor, guys. This is what you learn. <laughs> it's actually really interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, this is kind of where it gets real dicey. Okay. So, uh, Dur- I didn't really... We're skipping ahead a bit. Go for it. Um, Lennon and Yoko Ono get married. Uh, during their honeymoon, uh, they use their mounting popularity to stage their own version of a protest against the Vietnam War. And really all war in, war in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, they use their honeymoon, like, scandalous nature to invite reporters into their honeymoon suite as, oh, sorry, <laughs> as a way to use paparazzi folly and push the anti-war platform even further. So all of these paparazzi reporters thought they were going to have sex because they had just done, like, a nude photo shoot for a magazine. Yeah. So they were all, like, hyped and they were all there. Mm-hmm. And literally what they did was lay in their beds in white pajamas. So this was called a bed-in. They staged several throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular one was called Bed Peace. They put, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, I When I saw it, I was like, "That's I know what that is, because it's a very- um, Googling it now, keep going. Very iconic image. Uh, but they like essentially from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. just talked about peace in front of reporters. And you know what? It fucking worked. Like, I, they, paparazzi was still, Oh, I have seen it. Yeah, it's a pretty iconic image. Um, for reference, it's like John Lennon with the long hair, and I think with like the little rose-colored glasses, mm-hmm. and Yoko Ono just in a white bed with white sheets. Um, Tons of flowers around them. Yeah, with bed piece 
mm-hmm. above, like taped on the window. It worked. Uh, and this is to say, like, while they weren't really related to like the Yappies, which was like the Youth American protest, or any other marchy based protest in the Vietnam War, they were still actively engaged in saying, like, I don't like this, I want it to stop, and reinvigorating the youth, essentially. Another important thing to note is in 1971, 18-year-olds were given the right to vote in the presidential elections by the 26th Amendment. Oh. So prior to this, the minimum voting age was 21. Oh. Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes sense, because it's, but like, also, oh, I didn't realize that's when that happened. Yeah, I didn't realize it was so recent either, but... Mm -mm. It was driven mostly by the Vietnam War, and it's dependent on the military drafts. That makes sense. It's if you're getting drafted, you should have a right to vote on mm-hmm. who's drafting you. That was literally the argument. Cool. Solid. Love that. Yeah. So it was actually the fastest ratification of an amendment in history. It only took four months. Oh. To ratify an amendment, you need two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate, and three-fourths of all states. Yeah, that's a not-fast process. Yeah, so they turned it around super fast. But that also made 1972 the first presidential election where 18-year-olds were able to vote. So that is Nixon's re-election. Okay. Yeah. You uh kind of get, like, the Mm -hmm. picture? Mm -hmm. That's a very tumultuous time. It wasn't fun. Nobody really had a good time. No. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Continue. Next. Okay. Okay. Nixon being Nixon was scared shitless of 18-year-olds, and he was convinced that their constituency would sway the vote. Uh, Young people were the strongest anti-war constituency in America, and coincidentally, John Lennon was thinking the same thing. Uh, He was starting to plan, these are like parallel, so he was starting to plan how he could use his cultural influence to engage younger people into the political process. Awesome. Yes. Nixon, again being Nixon, was then scared that John Lennon was going to affect his chances of getting reelected. Okay. Okay. So it's important to note that the FBI had already taken interest in John Lennon. In 1971, John Lennon sang at the 10 for 2 Freedom Rally for John Sinclair, a White Panther Party founder who was serving a 10-year sentence for selling two joints. Yeah. So the White Panther Party is an anti-racist political collective founded in response to the Black Panther Party. And it was really a direct response to Huey P. Newton saying white people could start, should start a similar group to the Black Panthers to support them. Okay. Yeah. Bad bad naming choice. Not great, yeah. But like, it makes sense. <laughs> they were trying to stick with branding. They, they, they were told to do it, so they did. And, you know, like... It worked. It was like a thing. Yeah. Okay. I've never actually heard of the White Panthers. That that should be how it works, actually. Okay. That makes that does make sense. Yeah. So fifteen thousand people showed up for this concert. Okay. For this rally, and three days later, John Sinclair was released from prison. So he was serving a ten-year sentence. John Lennon sang a song. He was released from prison. Immediate direct action. Mm Hmm. Uh, they were, so Yoko Ono and John Lennon were actually very proud of that kind of response. They were, like, really interested in the prospect of, like, using this as a potential um, technique to, like, reinvigorate to get people to wake up, yeah. essentially. So FBI was kind of concerned about a, the power of a person who can just do that, who could, yeah. like, call a rally, get 15,000 people to show up, and also force the government's hand to release someone from prison. That's huge. Yeah. 
And from this point on, so this is when they had started an investigation to the end of their investigation, they had managed to gather nearly 300 pages of information on John Lennon. That's a lot of pages. I don't have enough context to say if that's normal. I, based <laughs> off of the FBI profile of the person I'm talking about, that's a lot of information. Oh, dope. Cool. So <laughs> I was very concerned about John Lennon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, it's never been documented that the FBI was tapping John Lennon's phones, but there was a lot of contention here. John Lennon was incredibly paranoid and thought they were listening, but he kind of went back and forth because he was essentially being gaslighted. Also, was he paranoid to begin with? He was not. Okay. So this was kind of where the paranoia came from, and I'll okay. get into it. Please do. So John Lennon had discussed touring, touring again across the country following Nixon's re-election campaign and essentially drawing away the public from his campaign rallies and activating youth along his campaign trail. So he, Wow. Yeah. That's he, a statement. He essentially was going to go to the same cities, follow and Nixon, and be like, go Free over concert, here. guys. What's yeah. up? Um, and a it was like a really significant thing, also knowing that he just gathered 15,000 people randomly. So there was That's a- That's larger than most presidential, like, just... Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's a lot of concern about it. Around the same time, Senator Strom Thurmond, a terrible human being, a terrible human being, and I will go into points as to why he's a shit Please person. Do. Please do. <sighs> I keep being alive. Okay. <laughs> So, like, during this time, John Lennon had discussed it. He discussed it privately. So that's why there isn't... That's why people think his phones were tapped, because he he discussed it privately. And it was still... It still became public knowledge. Okay. It didn't become public knowledge as much as it was, like, he made this discussion, and then Strom came through with this letter saying, we should do this. Um, So Strong had appealed to the White House saying the best solution to neutralize John Lennon was to deport him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, let's get into why Thurman is kind of a shitty human being. So, Thurman... God, I hate him. Okay. Thurman campaigned for president on a pro-segregation campaign, Hmm. actively campaigned against the civil rights movement, Hmm. held the longest filibuster by a lone senator, 24 hours and 18 minutes. I mean, I do respect filibuster just on principle because I find them obnoxious and a ridiculous part of our democracy, but continue against the Civil Rights Act. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Cut that, please. Yikes. Yikes. (laughs) No, no. Can you re-say that sentence? You should have let me finish. (laughs) I should have, but I love the best. (laughs) It's fine. No, please re-say that sentence. You can keep that for us, please. Okay. So for context, context, Thurman campaigned for president on a pro-segregation campaign, actively campaigned against the civil rights movement, held the longest filibuster by a lone senator of 24 hours and 18 minutes against the Civil Rights Act, and was the longest serving member of Congress and longest standing Republican. He is the first member of Congress to be 100 years of age and literally retired because he died. So he didn't retire. He just died. He just fucking died. He was 100. This was in, he died in 2003. What? (laughs) Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, that puts it into some context. I don't like that. I don't like he it either. He was born in 1903. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay, continue. <laughs> and as an additional, wow, what a piece of shit. Six months after he died, his mixed-race daughter came forward as being born in secret. I'm just not going to comment on that one. I'm just not going to say anything. (laughs) Meaning, he raped his black 15-year-old maid when he was 22 in 1925. Imagine wanting him to be your senator. Imagine. Just not gonna say anything. No, I don't. No, I don't want to comment on this. Mm-hmm. He was a hundred. They didn't vote his ass out. He was a hundred. He died. He died. He didn't even retire. He fucking he died. He fucking and they died. Kept... How many times was he reelected? So many times. I, I want to know that. I, it's so depressing. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, Strom Thurmond. Thurmond. There we go. He served for 48 years. Mm-hmm. 48. Mm-hmm. He was also born in 1902. Isn't that fucking wild? Oh, I don't... He started serving? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, can... Okay, I don't like any of this. <laughs> no, I know. It's so upsetting. It's so upsetting. And the only thing I can really say is thank God he didn't win the president election. Yeah. Yes. But, like, imagine having that much hate in your heart. I can't. Mm-hmm. I just, I cannot. He's from South Carolina, so that's his problem. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Continue. Anyway. Sorry, Sorry, South Carolina, but, like, you deserve being shit on for that one. I really feel like maybe, was there no one compared? Uh, maybe no one right against him. Maybe there was no other option. We're going to give South Carolina okay. the benefit. Go for it. Go for it. Okay. So, anyway, the FBI started to look into John Lennon more seriously. Because of him. Okay. So, at the word of Strom, they were like, great, let's look into him. Okay. So, uh, two months after the Freedom Rally... A deportation order came, and John Lennon was ordered to leave the country in 60 days. This new order came from the New York FBI office. Okay. So he lived in New York. It was coming from New York FBI. So for two years, John Lennon battled the deportation office fighting his deportation order. During this time, wanted posters were given out to the NYPD stating that Lennon should be arrested, if at all possible, on position of narcotics charges, which would make him immediately deportable. Does that make sense? Yes. Huh? Were there actually nar- narcotics, or was that just kind of the... I'll get to it. Okay. Yeah. So there is documentation that shows there was concern that John Lennon was gearing up for an anti-war rami- rally in Miami, Florida, where the Republican National Convention was being held. Oof. So, at, like, this is these are all kind of happening at yeah. the same time. So in response to this con- concern, the Miami FBI doubled down on the narcotics charge, hinting that John Lennon should be set up on a drug possession charge by the NYPD. So drug charges are a state offense, and the FBI can't really enforce anything. But when filing a Freedom of Information request to discover if there had been any potentially set any potential setup, it was noted that the John Lennon file from Miami FBI had been destroyed as a part of a routine file destruction procedure. No other FBI office had this issue. Hmm. So we have all this other information, but just not from Miami. Okay. Yeah. 
So the, this deportation notice became a thorn in Lenin and Yoko Ono's side. Ono was also already in a custody battle for her daughter, and she couldn't like she couldn't leave the country. So Lenin didn't want to leave. Yeah. That was really the main concern. Uh, Lenin was eventually advised by his lawyers to essentially not provoke the Nixon administration because they had never seen someone fight the deportation charges and win. Like, they had expected... Yeah, you're... That's a that's a fight you're... Okay. Yeah. So, I, the charges were kind of trumped up off of this 1968 weed possession charge. So, they were kind of like, you're going to fucking get deported. Like... And his that's lawyers, what's going to happen. His lawyers were essentially like, yeah, you're going to get deported, so I would, access, I would expect you to lay off. Like, you either lay off or you're going to get deported. Those are the steps. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in response to his ever-looming threat of de- deportation, he backed down from his potential concert tour that would have ended in Miami. Uh, the FBI reports as having successfully neutralized John Lennon and pressuring him to withdraw from anti-war activity. Okay. Yeah. So, in 1972, two months after the presidential election, the New York Office of Origin halted the investigation of deportation after effectively silencing him through this deportation threat. So, does that timeline make sense? Yes. Okay. You want me to go through it again? Just one more time. Yeah. So... uh, Let's see. Where are we starting? 1971... John Lennon sang at a Freedom Rally. Yes. Uh, John yep. Sinclair was released from prison. 1972 was his election. Was Nixon's election, right? So bet- Election or re-election? Re-election. Okay. So between those events, um, the FBI had a issued a deportation. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a 300-page yes. file, had a deportation notice, got him to lay off. Okay. Mm-hmm. So essentially there was the correlation between like he has the power to gather that many people. We need to get him to back down before Nixon gets reelected. That's kind of... That's the timeline. Yeah. Okay. So, in 1972, two months before the president election, the New York Office of Origin halted the investigation of deportation. So, essentially, before Nixon had finally secured his spot, the Office of Origin was like, we fucked him. He's not going to do anything. That's when they said um, he was effectively neutralized. Okay. Okay. Uh, Nixon goes on to win the 1972 election and stepped down in 1974 as a response of the Watergate scandal and three articles of impeachment. So Lennon remained a U.S. citizen up until his untimely death on December 8th, 1980 in New York City. So it's important to note in 1972, he got his green card. Okay. So they, they rescinded the deportation order and gave him his green card. Okay. As like a cookie. It's like, oh, here, thank you for doing what we asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, his murder, uh, I don't have as many notes on this, because I think the neutralization was, like, the important the part. The important part, okay. So, he was shot in 1980. Um, I think the Vietnam War ended in 1975, 1976, that, that time frame. Yeah, a couple, <laughs> he died a couple years later. Yeah, so he, there wasn't really any collection between his assassination and the FBI report, or at least there was no documented correlation mm-hmm. but he was shot four times in the back at point blank range by a 38 caliber revolver special and coincidentally juniper decided to type over my notes um, coincidentally all sidearms carried by the nypd PD officers were 38 special wheel revolvers oh funny yeah so lennon was shot at point blank range by a gun 
That is standard issue. That is a standard issue for the NYPD, who were given reports saying that John Lennon was wanted. Was he still wanted at this point? The, so the NY, I'm sorry, the Office of, office of Origin, so the uh, New York FBI office, yeah. had said, we no longer feel the need to investigate him because he's no longer participating in anti-war platforms. Okay. Um, that does not mean that there could have been things like, so the big thing about the Nixon administration was that they never really said the truth. They kind of just like lied around lies. Yes. Um, so we don't know. Okay. So there's no real information as to whether or not. Yeah. Huh. So we do know who, we do know who was convicted of shooting him. So Mark Chapman, Mm -hmm. he had, so he had shot him after, he was really painted as if he was a crazed fan, right? So Mm -hmm. he was mentally unstable. He went to go visit them. He got a signature before he shot John Lennon, or at least that's the story. But the interesting thing to note is that upon the police arrival, Instead of doing a forensic takedown or taking any pictures, they took John Lennon's body and put him in a car. So they did not wait for other, like, they didn't wait for an ambulance or other police or arrive. medical examiner. Yeah, they just took his body, put him in a car, and drove him to an ambulance. And there was never any formal investigation because Mark Chapman had, um, he said he was guilty. So his lawyer, okay. his lawyers uh, pleaded for him to say he was guilty. Uh, Guilty by insanity. Okay. And he said, no, I was just guilty. Like, no, I just shot him on my own. So there was never any formal investigation. There wasn't really anything Done. outside of him saying, like, I, did I was there, I shot him, arrest me. Oh. Hmm? Satisfying. That's, yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. And that's the story. Okay. Yeah. That's a fun story. I it's did a not, really fun story, I right? did not know that John Lennon was neutralized. Right. You wouldn't... I think it's also because neutralized is a very aggressive word. It is. Because you, you assume dead. Yeah. You assume, but it does make sense. Like, yeah. the deportation order did effectively get him to back the fuck yeah. off. It neutralized any of his anti-war protests. Mm-hmm. So, I've got an assassination. Yeah. At least, not, an actual assassination. At least I'm going to call it an assassination. Okay. And I'm going to do the assassination of Marilyn Monroe. I'm very excited. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah, you get to learn a lot more about Marilyn Monroe than you probably ever wanted or anticipated. Marilyn Monroe was born June 1st, 1929, under the name of Norma Jean Mortson. She, mm-hmm. Norma, very unsexy name. Yeah, no, Marilyn Monroe was entirely her stage name, and it actually got bought from her at one point. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she's, of course, a famous actress, a famous model, and a famous singer. She pioneered and made iconic what we now think of as a blonde bombshell and the dumb blonde. She's actually the reason that the bl- dumb blonde stereotype started. Yeah, I can see that. Because mm-hmm. before her, it was Betty Boop or was Betty Boop? Betty Boop is not blonde. No, that's what I'm saying. Like oh, She yeah. was the bimbo. She was. And yeah, so it's partially because Marilyn Monroe kept getting typecast. Okay. Mm-hmm. No one is shocked by that. Not at all. And I'll get into that because she's actually really, really intelligent. No one is shocked by that? No. Yeah. They, you know, Fox Studio was, but no one else was. <laughs> So she is considered the sex icon of the 50s and the 60s. Her movies made upwards of $200 million, which is today equivalent of $2 billion. Fuck. Yes. I was actually going to ask that. That's a lot of money. Imagine. She, she was worth that much money. And that's in between the highs and lows of her career. Like she, people went to see a movie to see Marilyn Monroe. Where does that rank across like the richest people in America? 
Do you know? I don't think she made a lot of money off of it. Okay. So she was just valued at that. Those, that's how much her movies were grossing. Okay. So that's not how much she was personally grossing. She had individual contracts set up because how Fox Studios set up a lot of her contracts is they said you have to do this many movies for this much money. Okay. So she'd film seven movies at $30 million for all seven, and then they'd make huge profits off of her. Okay. So it, it's really uh, how much money she brought to Hollywood. Yes. Okay. And that's kind of the bigger one. Okay. She started as a pinup model, and she slowly transitioned to an acting career. She is famous for As Young As You Feel and Monkey Business. She was featured in Playboy from photos of her during her pinup phase. And instead of this hurting her career, she actually... It helped her kind of reinvigorate her as the blonde bombshell and her as the sex icon and this gorgeous, sensual woman who was actually using what was considered her sex appeal to market herself. Mm-hmm. Um, again, consistently typecast. Um, her f- she also had an independent production company, which was awesome. And her first production was The Prince and the Showgirl. So really, essentially, she was beautiful, talented, brilliant, and had a great work ethic and business said and okay. business sense. That said, not everything was super lovely for her. Mm-hmm. During her time in foster care, she was sexually abused and became a very withdrawn and quiet and child, and she actually developed a stutter. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's sad. Which is why at 16 she got married. She married her next-door neighbor, who was 21 years old, and basically it was just an excuse to get out. So she actually ended up as a factory worker during World War II. Her husband was also a factory worker, low-skilled, blue-collar laborer until he was drafted in the war. Oh. Mm-hmm. Sad. She had three marriages. She didn't like this one very much. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> so positive. she was... Act- so her first ad campaign actually was a morale-boosting campaign. Was it like Rosie Riz- Riveter by? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it never actually got published, but that was the first thing that made her a model. Okay. Like, that's the first shoot she ever did. Okay. This is um, all all before her pinup phase. This is what led to her pinup phase. Okay. Mm-hmm. And again, she's young at this point. Yeah, she's 16, right? Uh, a little, little older, yeah. Okay. Somewhere around there. Like, she's young. Um, her, so while her husband was deployed, she ended up going and getting a contract with Blue Book Model Agency. Okay. Within two years, two years of getting her first modeling gig, she appeared on 33 magazine covers. Yeah. Um, and it also... So Playboy, along with another movie called Nigeria are what made Marilyn Monroe a sex icon. Okay. I mean, she was gorgeous too, but like those were the two things like you can actually trace. Like this is when it started. (laughs) Within months of her signing a contract um, with Paramount, that Mm -hmm. was the first um, acting agency she was with, she divorced her husband. Okay. Mm -hmm. Marilyn's actually responsible for all of her divorces, so like go her. Yeah, get Mm -hmm. fucked. Right? So (laughs) 1950 and 1952 were considered her breakthrough years, and she was receiving several thousand fan letters a week. Um, from men? Everyone. Okay. <laughs> that that was kind of part of her appeal, is she had a ton of male fans and, a, like, people that just adored her because she was gorgeous and talented and fun, but women also wanted to be her. Everybody went to movies to see Marilyn. Okay. It wasn't just men. I'm going to brush over a lot of her other work because I, I don't need to talk about it. Like, you, you can Google it. You can watch it. Like... I'll bring them up as they're super, super relevant, but okay. <laughs> the, that's the basics. She was in a lot of movies all of the time. Okay. So we're going to get into her second marriage. Her second marriage is with Joe DiMaggio, and this marriage actually ended due to her most famous publicity stunt, which is the subway. Pu- publicity stunt. Yes. Okay. I, again, I slur. It's a thing. <laughs> 
So it's worth noting her marriage with Joe, despite her saying she was very in love and she maintained a relationship with him and his family even after the divorce, uh-huh. was tumultuous. He was jealous. He was possessive. He was borderline abusive, if not abusive. And their marriage... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jada's rolling her eyes. And that's that's <laughs> that energy. Mind you, Marilyn was not an easy woman to be married to. Like, we'll get into it. She's a lot in her own, right? Again, that's not an excuse for abuse at all. But the jealousy I get. Like, I, I don't blame him for that one. Well, we're going to get to it. Okay. I promise. I promise we'll okay. get to it. Yeah. I don't stand for weak men. We're just going to say that now. <laughs> Agreed. Yes. She also should have never kept getting married. Just should not have. Yeah. So their marriage ended with the image that we all know Marilyn Monroe by, which is her dress flying up. Yeah. That was actually an active publicity stunt that she did. It was a perfectly posed photo. She spent hours on it. It was not just like a, oops, like hours were spent on it. I definitely thought it was a photo shoot. Yeah. It's like a famous photo. Like, it's gorgeous. Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. (laughs) Her husband was pissed. Eh. Like, Eh. again, this is... Do not stand for weak men. (laughs) Again, I get it. But she also did this as an active choice despite him. Again, I don't stand for weak men, and it's kind of hysterical that that's where you're going to draw the line, sir, but... Anyway, so DiMaggio was money furious. Money is money. <laughs> yeah. So DiMaggio was furious, and this combined with his history of physical abuse, or physical abuse, controlling behavior, jealous attitude, leads to a divorce nine months into their marriage. Fascinating. Very, very quick. Yeah, mm-hmm. clearly. Next. Mm-hmm. Her next marriage is kind of the more relevant one. Um, it's Her next marriage was actually an affair she started when she was married to DiMaggio. Okay, see that? Like, if you're cheating... She was cheating all of the time on everyone. Fine. Like, totally. Well, I mean, it's not fair, but, but like, it, it, that type of, like, jealousy, that makes sense. Yes, no, like, when I say, That's like, the there's context a... context I needed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get into her string of lovers because there's not a better way to describe them. Yes, I've heard of Marilyn Monroe being compared to, like, Cleopatra. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's not incorrect. So her next marriage was the beginning of an affair, and it was to a man named Arthur Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, this affair continued until DiMaggio divorced her. Can I just say, yes. it's very important, because I don't know who the fuck any of these men are. It's not, I'm getting into who Arthur is, DiMaggio is, eh, I don't really care right now. No, I'm just saying that's how fucking famous she was. That yes. I, I have no, like, men. She were, overshadowed them, and they were all famous in their own right. Yeah, every time. Every time. Mm-hmm. And okay. she, yeah. So... She had an affair mm-hmm. with him, mm-hmm. and this affair continued until DiMaggio and her got a divorce, and Arthur Miller divorced his wife. He was also married at the time. Okay. So Arthur Miller, I'm going to get into a little bit of who he is because he gives us a little bit of background. He was a very famous playwright, but he was also being investigated by the FBI for communism and had been subpoenaed by the House of Un-American Activities Committee, aka the Red Scare. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was basically the federal government's established department to headhunt communists. This was the mid-50s. Like, that's really all I got to say. That's what they did. (laughs) Yeah. And this is a New York playwright. He, funny enough, they were actually considered to be a really poor match by a lot of people that knew both of them because no one believed that she was intellectual enough to keep up with him. Rude. Yeah. She, like, again, it was partially... She put it out there. She, again, she was typecast not by her own volition a lot of the time. Like, she actually had an incredible acting range. But the image of her being a dumb blonde and being the sex icon didn't pair well with New York uppities looking down their nose being like, oh, well, he's a famous playwright. Mm-hmm. That stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But 
Marilyn refused to end her relationship with Miller. So the FBI actually opened up a file on her for suspicion on communist activity and support. Also, a fun side note. Is this like during Mercurialism? I think so, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, this is, this is during the Red Scare. Okay. A really fun side note. Um, Miller was Jewish and during their marriage, Marilyn Monroe actually converted to Judaism, which oh. led to Egypt banning all of her films. Oh. Yeah, so <laughs> that was just was a re- like, oh, that's cute. And then like, oh, fuck me. <laughs> yeah, again, it's just, that's a fun one. So there's a little bit of background on her. Now we're going to skip ahead again. Okay. So by 1959, Marilyn Monroe has developed an incredible dependency on pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. that, and it's believed that this. I didn't know that. So she's a drug addict. Deeply. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, she had a very, very, very strong addiction to barbiturates, which I'll get into what those specifically are. But Marilyn Monroe inherited some of her mother's psychoses is kind of how that worked out. So uh-huh. she does a lot of drugs and is an alcoholic. Um, that does make sense. Yes. It's really sad. It is really, really sad. And there's yeah. beliefs that her agency and the studios put her on a lot of the drugs to make her calmer and a little more subdued and like able to work. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. Very so, sad. Mm-hmm. It's very upsetting. It, yes. Uh, it, a lot of Marilyn's been right life. She took power in the way she could, but there are parts that are deeply upsetting. Yeah. Imagine being alive in the 50s. Fuck. No, thanks. Yeah. Um, no. So this dependency on pharmaceuticals actually led to what they believe was her first miscarriage. Um, there was a second confirmed miscarriage 18 months later. They believe that this was linked to her endometriosis. And this miscarriage, the second one, actually led to her being briefly hospitalized for a barbiturate overdose. So she did overdose multiple times in her life. Um, barbiturates are an excessively, were excessively popular in the 60s, earlier in the 50s. What, what, like, what is it? They're a treatment for anxiety. They're basically muscle relaxants, and they're very addictive. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, like... Horse tranquilizers. Like, these are our grandmother's horse tranquilizers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, again, she did have anxiety. She was clinically depressed. Like, these mm-hmm. were the medications of the time, too. Mm-hmm. But they were very addictive. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So now in the late 1950, in late 1959, she began having another affair. So she began cheating on her husband with a man named Yves Montand. He's an Italian-French singer. Um, by 1960, her relationship with Miller was essentially over, and he began having his own affair with a photographer. Really not that important. Marilyn's, when Marilyn's career was considering, was it was beginning to decline due to her drug addiction, and her makeup was often being applied to her while she was still asleep and under the haze of drugs. Oh. So it was very common for her to be passed out on set, getting people prepping her and getting her ready for her job. Not because, like, she, but... Because they had prescribed her these barbiturates that had fucked her up. Yeah. Not because she was just, like, strung out. It's both. Okay. Like, barbiturates are the only drugs we know she was addicted to. Okay. And that's because they were highly addictive and they were consistently prescribed to her. Okay. So she was never obtaining illegal drugs. These were what were given to her. She just took them a lot. Okay. Um, In August, she was sent to the hospital for rehab. They call it a detox. It was rehab. By January... mm Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Branding. Okay. Marketing, what you can say is happening. Um, By January 1961, Monroe and Miller officially divorced. Uh, 
She spent much of 1961 in and out of the hospital for her endometriosis and spent four weeks in the hospital for her depression. Oh, that fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. That's why they believe she miscarried so many times. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. This is so upsetting. Yes. Poor uh, baby. Yeah. There's there's a lot of that to Marilyn Monroe. Like, she was a strong, powerful female, but also there was a lot of parts to her life that genuinely sucked. But by 1962, her career was actually back on the upswing. So she basically had two down years that were not going right. Okay. And then it's slowly, like, after detoxing, after being in the hospital, getting a therapist, all the good stuff, it was on the upswing. Until she got into a fight with Fox. Fox Studio. Um, that's who more or less owned the brand of Marilyn Monroe. They sued her and blamed her for a pa- failed production, um, despite her health issues, and began actively spreading bad press that she was mentally disturbed. So because she kept getting hospitalized and was in and out and she was sick, they fell behind on her production schedule, so they were losing money. I don't actually know if they finished it, but... What What is it about, like, the 1900s and smear campaigns? It's effective. Like, what? But, like, we don't do that anymore. Do we? Do we amount of just not paying attention? Cancel culture. Oh. But that, mm, that's a good argument. I have nothing for you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, the fight with Fox, she picked herself. This began around May 19th, 16, 1962. Okay. And... This is the iconic moment that really gets into why she was assassinated. Okay. So when she's saying happy birthday, Mr. President, at JFK's birthday celebration at Madison Square Garden, 10 days before his actual birthday, she purposely wore a skin-tight beige dress that was covered in rhinestones and stripped out of a coat, and it basically made her look naked to the public eye and to the filming eye. Just covered in glitter. Oh, I want to die. <laughs> I want to die covered in glitter and naked to the public eye. Yes. And for those, I recommend listening to her sing Happy it's Birthday, Miss. not Ms. good. I have never heard Happy Birthday sung that sexually, and that's a compliment. But like. It's very, very, it's, very seductive. It's on the nose to the fact that they were having a semi-publicized affair. So this is extra bad for Kennedy because he is a married Catholic man and Jackie Kennedy is one of the most beloved first ladies ever. Mm -hmm. And again, so there was no, there's not a ton of evidence to show that their relationship was serious, but there's plenty of evidence to show that they were sleeping together semi-regularly. And for her to go out in front of thousands of people live and on a nationally publicized event and sing that song was very much a hit in the face to Fox, who just were trying to rebrand her as, no, she's back, she's good, she's not crazy. A little crazy. So. Did she have lawyers at any point in this? She had so many lawyers, but okay. I don't know how many of them were assigned to just her or how many were studio and her. Okay. But she did have lawyers. The lawyer will come into play later. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, Fox bit the bullet with her, realized Mm -hmm. they were still making so much money on her Mm -hmm. and repaired the relationships. And so that's just kind of all of the background I wanted to give on who Marilyn Monroe was, but she basically did a ton of movies. She did a ton of campaigns, was making millions and millions of dollars, but there was a lot of personal kind of struggles going on around her. Mm -hmm. And again, there is a clear history of mental illness. There's a clear history of drug addiction. Like, there's a clear history of a lot of abuses to balance out what was going on in her life. So now I'm going to talk about her death, aka her assassination, mm-hmm. or her death. Eh. What are words? 
So Marilyn Monroe died of a barbiturate overdose on the evening of um, on the evening of August fourth, which was a Saturday, 1962. So this is months after Happy Birthday, Mr. President. Mm-hmm. She was found in the next morning before dawn on August fifth, 1962, at and she was 36. Okay. So she was young, which is so sad. Yeah. The day of August 4th, Marilyn had spent the day with publicists, photographers, and journalists. As I mentioned, Fox was currently in the process of winning her back, and in return, Marilyn was currently on basically like an ad campaign. She was doing a publicity thing. She was really, really trying to win back the... She was trying to rebrand herself. Not super actively, but basically being like, I'm back. I'm still great, and you missed me. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Due to her history, um, a psychiatrist also spent the day with her. So she did have a psychiatrist help all day. And at the request of the psychiatrist, her housekeeper, Ines Murray, I think I'm butchering that name, was requested to spend the night. Basically, there was not a ton of concern for her, but she had such a history of both overdosing and just depressive episodes that the psychiatrist wanted to make sure someone stayed the night with her. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, not abnormal. The housekeeper, um, Murray, was actually the one to find the body. She peeked through Marilyn Monroe's windows because she Marilyn had locked her doors, and that's when she saw that she was unresponsive the next morning. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the actual timeline of the evening. At approximately 8 p.m., Marilyn, re- Marilyn received a call from Peter Lawford, who was an actor, and he was trying to persuade Marilyn to come to a party. Lawford noted that at the time, she sounded like she was under the influence of drugs. She famously told him, according to him, say goodbye to Pat, say goodbye to the president, which was Lawford's brother-in-law. So this is JFK's brother-in-law. Okay. Um, And say goodbye to yourself because you're a nice guy. Before drifting off. Like on the phone? Mm Mm-hmm. So she called him. So he had called her, was trying to convince her to go out and party with him that night. He was in L.A. Most of the Kennedys were actually in Mm -hmm. L.A. this evening. And again, this is JFK's brother-in-law. And so he called her, tried to convince her. He says that she sounds like she was on drugs. Like according to him, though. He's the one who spoke to her? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Lawford then reached out to his agent, who reached out to both Marilyn's publicist and and her lawyer. Mm -hmm. Um, Her lawyer, Milton A. Mickey Rudin, called Monroe's house and was assured by the maid that everything was fine. Again, this is about 8 p.m. Okay. So. Was before or after she locked her doors? She's in her room, doors locked, on the phone. Okay, so the maid didn't know. In short, the maid didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At approximately 3.30 on Saturday, August 5th, 1962, Eunice Murray awoke in quotes, sensing something was wrong, okay. and went to check on Marilyn. When she was unable to get a response, she telephoned Greenson, who advised Murray to look through the window. There she saw Marilyn lying face down on the bed, covered by a seat by a bedsheet cut, clutching a telephone. So for the drama of it all, Marilyn Monroe was found dead, naked in her bed, surrounded by champagne. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Iconic. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Greenson arrived, um, sorry. Greenson arrived shortly after when he, in- he entered the room by breaking the window. And that's when he found Marilyn dead. Mm-hmm. That's her lawyer? No, that is her publicist, I believe. Yeah. Her publicist. So the publicist breaks into her room, gets in, says she's dead. He then called Marilyn's personal physician, who arrived at the house at 3.50 and officially confirmed her death. By 4.25, they notified the LAPD. Did they not have 911? 
Or were they just was it because she was so famous that they didn't want to? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I think that was I think that was the call, but that's part of the suspicions of why did you guys not call the ambulance? Why did it take so many ch- times? Why did you call? Why did he have to come before you called a doctor if you saw her unresponsive face down on her bed? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Her autopsy was performed that same day in the L.A. County Coroner Office. Um, based on the state of rigor, mort- rigor mortis, um, at the time that her body was discovered, it was estimated that she had died between 8.30 and 10.30 that night. So, again, according to Peter Lawson, yeah, Lawson, or Lawford, sorry, she drifted off on the phone. So he kind of made the claim that she died on the phone with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that they listed that the L.A. County coroner's office listed that she died was acute barbiturate poisoning. The police found empty bottles of pills next to her bed. There were no external wounds. Mind you, she had, a, they said between 13 to 15 bottles of pills next to her. Not all of them were empty. Okay. She just, she had all of her pill bottles was more or less how that worked. Okay. Mm-hmm. The findings were then published by the chief coroner, Theodore Curfee, and who classified Monroe's death as a probable suicide, with the possibility of an accidental overdose ruled out. Huh. Mm-hmm. So that's an important one. They they were just like, this could not have been an overdose. Yeah. They said that this was a probable suicide. They ruled out the chance that she just accidentally overdosed. Mind you, she has accidentally overdosed in the past. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Why? Is it because of the volume of pills? Because she had so many? We're going to get into that. There's a lot of discussion as to why it was ruled that way and the damage that the barbiturates had done to her system and the concern about that because again she's been taking these pills for years yeah that's super weird so but then in 1983 so like almost 20 years after the thomas nohuchi who is the man who actually performed the autopsy so it's not the man who published the autopsy report that was the head coroner this is actually just the guy that physically did the autopsy he discussed that Marilyn's case had a lot of discrepancy and he didn't actually entirely agree with the autopsy ruling he claimed Hmm. that she could not have ingested that many pills because her stomach was empty and that the nimbutal, which was the specific brand of... She would have thrown it up. Capsules would have left a yes, yellow residue on her if she had, like, thrown it up or if it had been there. Okay. Mm-hmm. He said that she could have done this had an enema been administered. So if someone had forced the pills into her, potentially. Okay. In, the ing- in the end, though, he did agree that there was a chance she'd probably committed suicide, but that her stomach lining was so damaged from years of burbage would have... Um, abuse that it could have looked like they absorbed really quickly so there's not a lot of a, like like a reverse intolerance yeah where it's because her stomach was so damaged the pills got absorbed really really quickly okay so again we don't there's actually no comment as to how many pills she took it's not like it was clear that she swallowed three bottles okay and she just took a shit ton we don't know okay we okay. actually like there's actually no comments i could not find anybody that specifically said how many pills they thought she took. We just know that she died because of acute barbiturate poisoning. Poisoning, yes. So bar- the pills did kill her. That is what is the cause of death. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now that you know how she died and you know the kind of weird circumstances as to what how her body was handled, mm-hmm. let's get into why she was assassinated. Okay. So basically all of these reasons circle back to one, and it's the Kennedy family. It's not actually just JFK. 
Um, so I'm going to bring up a couple different people that kind of wrote biographies and are kind of the ones that like spearheaded this idea of her. Mm-hmm. So according to Frank A. Capel, who wrote a pamphlet about her death in 1964, he claimed that Marilyn and the U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy had an affair. His brother? Cousin. Cousin. Okay. Mm-hmm. God, there's so many. <laughs> Kennedy clan. <laughs> so, yes. And again, Robert F. Kennedy, also known as Bobby Kennedy, became attorney general. He was on his cousin's cabinet. He's a very, very powerful man. Okay. And she's sleeping with both of them. Okay. Um, Casual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's then believed she began to catch feelings and take it more seriously and threatened to go public with the affair. And therefore, she was assassinated to protect his career. Then, in the 70s, Norman Mailer wrote a biography about Marilyn and once again claimed that to have the affair with Bobby Kennedy, which led to either the CIA or FBI killing Marilyn as a way to alleviate the pressure being put on him by Marilyn. Again, it's worth noting Marilyn had a lot of sway on the men she was with. And these are very, very, very powerful men. And she does have an open FBI record. Yeah, because they thought she was involved with the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit scary for your president and your attorney general, potentially. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that makes sense. Uh-huh. So there's also, fun fact, a belief that Marilyn and Robert had actually gotten married in Mexico and then done what's called a Mexico divorce because it was actually easier to get a divorce in Mexico and the paperwork didn't translate into the U.S., but you were officially annulled and divorced. So depending, like, I, it was a side note. I'm... No, I'm not discounting it. I'm just kind of like, why would you need a divorce if you don't live in Mexico? Because it still annuls the divorce in America. I, I'm, I didn't look too much into that one. I'm like, cool that there okay. wasn't a lot. To, <laughs> there wasn't a lot to substantiate the fact that they got married or divorced. Okay, it's just someone said something. So yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, the most kind of renowned and accepted conspiracy slash belief is from the British journalist Anthony Summer, who wrote the most popular biography on Marilyn Monroe. It's called. Marilyn, goddess, the secret lives of Marilyn Monroe. Prior to that, he had also written a conspiracy theory about the assassination of JFK. Okay, so, so he was he was all up in the Kennedys' business. Yeah, and she okay. was she was the Kennedys' business. Actually, no, that's not fair. The Kennedys were Marilyn's business. It, yeah. That's much more worth noting. Um, based off of his telling, Monroe was a psych- was psychotic, a drug adil- a drug addicted, and an alcoholic. All of which is confirmed. Yeah. that That's a fact. She'd be like that. Yeah. During the last few months of her life, Marilyn had an affair with both JFK, hence the most sexual happy birthday performance ever. <laughs> Again, if you haven't watched it, please, for the love of God, look it up. You will understand what we mean. It's a lot. It's so I res- much. I respect it, but it's a lot. And it's so public. That's really what makes it like, oh, God, I hate this. There's belief that Jackie Kennedy called... JFK and said, if you don't break up with her, I will divorce you, which would have been very bad. Yeah, for who he was. Mm-hmm. 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 So we're going to get to that one. So while the con- while the affair with JFK is mm, considered casual by some, we're kind of going to get into the two splits because, again, everything circles back to the Kennedys are probably the reason Marilyn Monroe is dead, but mm-hmm. which one killed her and why, who- which one she had more power over is kind of the debate. And so... We're going to start with Bobby, a.k.a. Robert F. Kennedy, okay. Attorney General. Mm-hmm. Her affair with him was to believed, believed to be much more serious. Um, and again, she threatened to go public. And this is back when Marilyn's still at the height of her career. 
she has everybody eating out of the palm of her hand and he has a Catholic image to maintain. And again, a communist. She might be a communist. There's really no proof and she probably wasn't, but like still you can sell you can say that at that time period and that would not be a good look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also Yeah. Also, he was in LA at the time of her murder. And Eunice Murray, the housekeeper who discovered Marilyn, spent the night with Marilyn, two decades later confirms that Robert F. Kennedy came to visit Marilyn the night she died. Oh. Oh. So So he wasn't on the f- No, that was her brother. Different That person, was the brother-in-law. Person. So we're going to okay. get to that. So to avoid Marilyn Monroe kind of coming out and going public with this affair, Peter Lawford, who was the man on the phone with her who was trying mm-hmm. to convince her to go out clubbing, mm-hmm. and Robert F. Kennedy began enabling her drug addiction. Oh. Mm-hmm. So there's belief that, again, Peter Lawford was one of, not, I don't want to say a co-star because don't quote me on that, but he was in the Hollywood circle. He was an actor. He was famous. He was someone that Marilyn spent time with. Mm-hmm. And basically, the British journalist Summers concludes that in a wave of hysteria, Marilyn overdosed due to Robert F. Kennedy, and that she actually died on an ambulance on the way to the hospital, and then Kennedy, in an attempt to cover up his affair with her and his connect, like connection to the fact that he more or less was the one to push her to the hysteria, mm-hmm. had the ambulance go back, had Peter Lawford set up this staged suicide, and he flew out of L.A. Oh. Mm-hmm. Summer based this information and this idea off of 650 interviews he did with people that were close to Marilyn Monroe in her life. This telling has been criticized on misrepresenting facts and a lot of contradictions in his story. Along with that, the biggest issue with Summer's telling of this idea mm-hmm. is actually the fact that a lot of his accounts are second and third person. So, again, because Marilyn's dead and it was hard to get a hold of pretty much anybody immediately like connected with the case he interviewed a lot of people that were in Marilyn's Marilyn Monroe's life but not directly involved with her death yeah which honestly kind of further proves that people in her life kind of thought that the connection to Bobby Kennedy is the reason she died because they weren't willing to say anything no because that's what they were saying oh so they might not have been involved but that's what they were actually starting to believe yeah Mm -hmm. okay that makes sense yeah so Another flip side is some believe that it wasn't actually Bobby Kennedy, but it was JFK who needed her dead. Mm -hmm. And this is based off of a concept of her little red book, which was a private journal Marilyn kept, like Marilyn kept. And she has historically kept journals her entire life. Like there's a ton of information on it. She actually like, that is probably the best look into who Marilyn was away from this dumb bimbo blonde that Hollywood sold. Like she was actually very poetic, very nostalgic, very melancholic. And so... This specific little red book was the private journal she was keeping during her affair with JFK. So she kept all the intimate details. She kept everything that happened between them, everything that was said, when and where they met, and for how long. And so this became an issue because they believed that John F. Kennedy actually started giving her classified information. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. And so she was tracking all of it because she just... That's what she did. Yeah, she just wrote all of it down. There's no ideas to whether or not she was purposefully keeping this information for a reason if she was using this as a power play over him just to have it just because it was something that came up like pillow talk but it's pretty much believed that there's a good chance our president was just telling her things 
Yeah. Not to say that he was, like, divulging for political reasons, but just because he wanted to talk, talk. about yeah. his like, life. Yeah, like, it wasn't, like, a conscious, like, oh, I'm doing this for this reason. It was, yeah. she was gorgeous and sensual and brilliant, like, really intelligent. And it was probably nice for him to speak to someone that was not directly involved in politics. Mm-hmm. But also, it's classified information. Yeah. So, <laughs> and you have a wife, sir. Yeah. Well, okay, not not to say that it was fair, but just to kind of, like... More context, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of the Flush context. out who he was as a person. Yeah, flush <laughs> out. Yeah, it was not meant to be malicious. And again, this is a very heavily debated thing. Mm-hmm. Which we'll get into. Yeah. Because... That's, like, totally believable. That, like, if they were having an affair... Yeah, that he would have told her things. Yeah, and if she's a journal keeper... keeper there's a good chance she was writing everything down. Yeah. Um, Especially because they can't find this specific journal. And so, is it the only journal they can't find? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to get a little more into that. But I also want to say that this story actually implied that Marilyn Monroe never actually had an affair. Like, this variation implies she never had an affair with Robert F. Kennedy. And it's that just JFK. Mm-hmm, implies it was just JFK. Mm-hmm. Again, common belief is it was both. Depending on who you ask, who you look at, John F. Kennedy was the one that she was having the affair with. Some people believe she didn't think she could actually get Robert F. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So there was... It's an interesting argument. There, yeah, it was an interesting argument, and there was a couple, like, comments on it, and so I kind of get it, but it was kind of the idea that I think JFK happened first, and then she realized her interest, and it kind of plays into the idea that Robert F. Kennedy was the more serious affair for her. If it was an affair, it, it was. But, yes. Okay. So, back to the Little Red Book. This journal has not been seen since August 1962, which was the month she died. According to one of the detectives who worked on her case, once the red book went missing, it was stricken off of the police inventory and was treated as if it had never existed. Oh. Mm-hmm. So it was picked up by police, and now it's gone. Oh, that's super interesting. Don't like that. No, uh-uh. No. No, no one likes that one. <laughs> even the FBI has no commentary as to whether or not this diary even existed. So how do we know that they picked it up? It was on the inventory log. And the detectives have come out and said, yeah, no, we picked this up. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And now it's gone. Don't like that. No. Mm-hmm. No. No mm-hmm. one likes that. Mm-hmm. No one likes that. Especially because, you know, Bobby Kennedy, the attorney general, was in L.A. at the time of her death. And yeah. was in L.A. coming back and forth. Yeah. But, again, so there's the idea that because of what John F. Kennedy told her and his immediate realize that he made a mistake... There's belief that he actually sent his brother-in-law, which was Peter Lawford, and Bobby Kennedy to handle his problem. So, yeah, believable. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. okay. So, kind of, more or less, Marilyn Monroe had such a sway over so many powerful men that that's kind of what they believe led to her death. Mm -hmm. And, of course, she did have a history of abuse, like, of barbiturate abuse. She had a history of depression. She had an overdose previously. She had been hospitalized for depression. But also, according to her friends at this time, Pat Newcomb, who was one of her, Newcomb, who was one of her close friends and was one of her, like, another Hollywood star, they had already made plans. They had plans for the next day. Mm -hmm. They were going to go see a movie together. Mm -hmm. She had spent the entire day surrounded by a psychiatrist, by other people. There was no active concern from the psychiatrist anywhere that says, you need to watch her tonight. It was just a general, we're going to just always keep an eye on her. Yeah. Milton Rudin, who's her attorney, said that she seemed happy, that she was excited, and that she had plans to see him Monday. So she had plans set up for the next few days of her life, which is not typical, generally, with a suicide. Mm-hmm. And she had also just signed to Fox again. Her reputation was on the upswing. 
Swing, she had details of a European film deal sitting on a table in her home, and many of her friends don't think she killed herself. So, in the very least, no one re- that knew Marilyn buys that Marilyn actually committed suicide that night. Yeah, they, it's just a question of what happened. Yeah, so they're not sure if it was an accidental overdose, if it was a conscious suicide, or if the Kennedys had something to do with it. There's also yeah. belief that there could have been mob involvement, but there's a lot less. It was the Hollywood association with the mob at yeah. the time. That's super interesting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so my sources from this were kind of varied. So there's History.com, LA Times, BBC, and Wikipedia, of course. So mm-hmm. I didn't give any of my sources. That's fine. I Should did I do that? Eh. Okay. I only did it because I'm like, uh, let's just throw out there. Like, yeah, that I mean, I, like, I have sources. I promise. I'll tell them about you next week. But yeah, so that's the assassination of Marilyn Monroe and how getting involved with the Kennedys was a mistake, actually. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. It kind of paints her in an entirely different light, doesn't it? it? Well, I guess, again, I don't like weak men. So I always kind of had that feeling about Marilyn Monroe where it was like, this is a facade. And it's kind of the same way I feel about like Cardi B. Like she puts on the persona of a dumb bimbo, but, but like actually she's incredibly smart, smart and business oriented. Yeah. And that is very much what Marilyn Monroe was. Mm-hmm. Everybody who worked with her, like one of the really famous quotes about Marilyn Monroe was watching her turn on. Mm-hmm. It was the idea that she went from her normal self to being who Marilyn Monroe was and presented to be. Yeah. And she was apparently incredibly good at it. And again, this woman ran her own production company. She pulled herself out of poverty, out of being a state ward, out of working in a factory to being one of the highest grossing Hollywood actresses ever. Yeah, Never doubt a, a woman. God, no. God, no. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the assassination of Marilyn Monroe. All right. That was fun. I right? like that. You, you've been talking about that for a hot minute, too. That was 40 minutes, by the way. Oh, just me? Mm-hmm. You're welcome, guys. I've yeah. got a lot to say about Marilyn Monroe. I've wanted to talk about this for so long. For so long, meaning what? Like, this is the first episode. I, no, because th- th- <laughs> this is the concept that started the podcast. Our takeaways are our mini conspiracies about our own stories. Like, mm-hmm. what's the conspiracy Yeah, what's version? his face? Strom, Storm? Strom. What's Strom this? Thurmond. Yeah, he sold the soul to the devil. That's really? That's why he lived so long? I I like that. I'm Wait. sticking with that one. <laughs> I'm sticking with that one. There's my takeaway, guys. He sold the Silk Roads Agreement somewhere in that shit. He was born in the fucking 1900s. Like, like 1900. Like, literally 1900. 1902. <laughs> this man sold his soul to the devil. He served for 43 years in government. That is unnecessary. Just on principle, like literally America set up its democracy so that you could not do that. And yeah. yet, sir. So yep. that, that's my statement. He was also a demon, it sounded like. So I'm so sorry to everybody. For so long. Yeah, like that's just, that's the statement I'm going with. He was a terrible human being. I'm okay with this. It's fine. Picking fights immediately on this podcast. What's, what's your takeaway? Uh, well, I so yours was actually super interesting. Mostly the red book. Mm-hmm. Because I I find what where was this la right this was la los angeles mm-hmm. this so, was hollywood i think yours kind of ties in with mine right that there was actually as to where we are now as to where we were in the past there's a stronger connection between local police offices and, and federal government federal government is, than we think mm-hmm. so i think mine is going to be a little bit more uh inflammatory go for it go for it pick a fight <laughs> do it i just called someone a demon so so I'm going to say that um, our local PD is similar to the KGB of Russia. 
Oh. Yeah. So like. Well, that's a fight. Our, oh. <laughs> oh, I like that. Tell me more. So like our um, our local government are active agents to carry out what the federal government's position is, where it be assassinating or at least assisting in the assassination that of That also Tamara ties Lynn into Monroe. yours because of the type of gun that was used to kill Lennon. Or assassinating John Lennon for his anti-war platform. Not to be like an aggressively anti-government person. Go for it. No, like, fuck it. That's not the point of We're this. We're doing a historical conspiracy podcast. Yes. I think that establishes all you need to know, actually. <laughs> I don't really want to be tracked by the FBI, but like, if you have to do it, don't assassinate me. Hi. <laughs> I already volunteered. <laughs> you want to be powerful enough to be assassinated. I want to be relevant. Yeah, <laughs> I want to be relevant enough, guys. Like, give me this power. I mean, probably don't. Like, that might be the better call, but like, <laughs> I'm open to it. Also, shout out to me never running for office after this podcast (laughs) never i'm so sorry it's for the best (laughs) i really should not but yeah thanks for tuning in guys yeah this has been fun see you next week goodbye bye bye